Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Home Alone, starring Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, John Hurd, and Catherine O'Hara. Written by John Hughes and directed by Chris Columbus. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to wrap up 2022 uh, with some Yuletide cheer. And what better way to do that than one with one of the great Christmas classics of all time from 1990. We're talking about Home Alone today. Uh, this was my pick. Uh, you know, we did The Hustler last week. This was the film you had wanted to talk about for a really long time. And I really wanted to keep things festive this week. So I picked Home Alone and... You know, I really had to think about it, and it was it might be my favorite Christmas holiday movie when it's all said and done for me. Wow, good. You know, I really like Black Christmas. I like a Christmas story. Yeah. Uh, of course, we like It's a Wonderful Life, sure. but something about Home Alone, and it, it, it has a lot of nostalgia factor of just renting this thing to death, and I got some crazy numbers to, to discuss with you just in terms of the box office of this film and then the rental market. I went down a, a Wikipedia rabbit hole on rental numbers and how much money that would bring in for a lot of these films. It's absurd. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't wait to, to share some of that. And I'm, I'll play a little guessing game with you on what you think the best-selling VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray are wow, okay. of all time. Oh, my God. Um, crazy numbers. Uh, so, And then with this film. But, yeah, Home Alone from 1990. Can't wait to talk about it. You brought here today uh, a pre-made cocktail. Mm-hmm. This is On the Rocks uh, from Knob Creek. It's just a standard old-fashioned. And we tested this already. It's pretty good, guys. It's pretty good. Just add the rocks. Mm. There you go. That's why it's called On the Rocks. Just, just, just sip and pour, right? Yeah, that's a nice hint of orange in there. That really is mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, typically in the in the old fashioned, you would have like an orange peel mm-hmm. kind of floating around in there, and you kind of get that those citrusy elements. But with Knob Creek, which I haven't had Knob Creek since early on in the show, yeah, or yeah, or yeah, I don't even think we've done that. Like them, like like our early writing days, or like in college, right? That'd be like a good mixer with like Jack Daniels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's pretty good. Yeah, I caught wind of a. Uh, What's supposed to be a good bottle, we might have to track it down. Like a Knob Creek 12-year? It's supposed to be a pretty decent little pour. So we'll have to track that one down. But I know we have a ton to talk about today, so let's go ahead and dive right in with our flight question. some extra clout to this production perfect let that finish out go ahead and set us up the the flight question being that it is december 24th and the uh man in red hasn't arrived yet i'm going to give you a chance to ask film santa for one gift that you would like him to deliver in 2023 now this can be from singular production to larger themes um 
Oh, that you're sitting on Santa's lap. And uh, it's a film wish that he's going to grant you. What do you want, Jesse? Well, when you called me and told me this great question, by the way, uh, the first thing I said was, uh, Film Santa, I got a lot of grievances to air with you <laughs> from the previous year yeah. in terms of a lot of disappointments. And I think we can talk a little bit about those um, a little bit later. But, yeah, it's been an interesting year. So going forward... Yeah, I'm going to sit on Film Santa's lap and whisper in his ear what I want. And I hope this comes to fruition. Uh, I think this year specifically, seeing the box office power of Top Gun Maverick proved that spectacle can be seen and it doesn't have to be science fiction, right? It doesn't have to be superheroes. It doesn't have to be Star Wars. It doesn't have to be Harry Potter. It could be real world you know, scenarios that just, you know, utilize the canvas as, as much as possible in a highly entertaining way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a film coming out that in the summer that can offer that. And I want Film Santa to deliver for multiple reasons. The film I'm talking about is Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. This is Christopher Nolan's new film, and he's a director that gets to play in a very original sandbox in a summer movie space that brings the spectacle back to life, right? Yeah. The reason we go to the movie is to see it on a large, you know, 100-foot screen so it's bigger than what our TVs could ever provide. He's the only one that could release a movie like that in the dead of summer. Like, I can't think of any other studio that would give someone $100 million to make a biopic mm-hmm. about a guy that a lot of people kind of really maybe don't know a whole lot about other than what his creation is, right? And then... um to double down on that, I love that Cillian Murphy is the lead in this role. He is once a bridesmaid, or what was the phrase? Once a bride, always, always, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Yes, that's Cillian Murphy in a nutshell. Mm. Is just like he has so much talent as an actor, and you know, even in something like Peaky Blinders that everyone you know really likes, he's still like around just a lot of people. But this feels like something like Oppenheimer. The movie's about him, right? Yeah. Man, this might be a golden opportunity to give some much-needed critical love to him and Mr. Nolan, too. Mm-hmm. This might be the film that gets them to the Gold Derby at the Oscars. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, the fact that it's being released in the summer to me is what's um, interesting. This has holiday release written all over it. This should be out right now. Like November, yeah. Right? November, it, December. It feels like it. Um, it's not. So I think once you start thinking about release times, then you go towards maybe a larger, more blockbuster versus a little bit more, um, I don't want to say art house, but, um, formal. Yeah. It's kind of caught between both of them, right? Sure is. But Nolan's not going to make just a big popcorn movie. That's not going to be a popcorn movie. Like there will be popcorn elements to it, I believe. Yeah. That'll be, it'll be a thinking piece too. Darn right. And so I think that's what presents a really interesting entry point into this film for me is the summer release. It does not feel like a summer release until I go see it and it'll be fine in the summer. Uh, but yeah, you, I mean, take a character that is as important and as controversial yeah. as Robert Oppenheimer was and you initially have it slated to come out at this time yeah, and then they kick it back to what's well, a crazy summer and I'm setting you up for something we're going to do here in just a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, so you want that film to be awesome. You want Santa to give you yeah. a masterpiece. Two things real quick. Um, yeah. 
I want to rattle off the cast for this film. And then I saw Avatar <laughs> The Way of Water in IMAX 3D last week. Uh, and before the film, they showed an IMAX exclusive trailer for Oppenheimer in the full IMAX aspect ratio. And Matt, I'm not sugarcoating it because, you know, I love the guy. It was one of the best trailers I've ever seen in my entire life. Sweet. It was so darkly ominous and that use of sound as they're gearing up for the Trinity atomic bomb test site. And I was like, you're getting suspense out of like a real life World War II thing. And I guess that's what I also like about him is he's like Dunkirk and this. Mm-hmm. These are like stories that we've never had like a big spotlight on, right? Yeah. And he's kind of choosing to do them. Uh, okay, so Cillian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, Gary Oldman, Kenneth Branagh, uh, Rami Malek, Josh Hartnett, Casey Affleck, uh, Matthew Bondine, Dane DeHaan, who? Dane DeHaan. Oh my goodness. Our our boy Jason Clark's in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. I think that's it of like kind of like the big recognized. And there, there's a lot of other just little characters. No Marion Cotillard though. No, she's not in this one. Interesting. It's great cast. Stacked, right? So yeah. I can't wait to I can't wait to check. So that's what I want Film Santa to deliver that for me. Uh an honorable mention would be, yeah, I need another good Dune part two. Thank you. Good. <laughs> I have an honorable mention too. I love that. Okay. Right. To, I, do yeah. that. Come on, Santa, deliver. On. Do it. I need you to set me up on this one. So if you'll do me a favor, I'd like you to rattle off how big a month March is going to be in 2023 and then how big a month June is going to be in 2023. Everybody buckle up and listen to this list. Okay. So March March 3rd, we got Creed 3. My goodness, 333. Three. March 10th, we have Scream 6. And March 17th, Shazam! Fury of the Gods. March 24th, John Wick Chapter 4. And then uh, March 31st, Dungeons and Dragons. That's the one with Chris Pine Pine. and Reggie John Page. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, pretty big March. March. Yeah, March. Not April, not May. That's March. Not May. Yeah, exactly. When we take that and compare that to some previous summers that have been changed, you know, since the pandemic and things. That would have been an entire summer. Sure. When we were doing Possessor, that would have been the whole summer. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's March, everybody. That's March. Speaking of Possessor. Uh, uh-huh. That's Don't take my honorable mention here. Don't you do it. Have you heard of it? This or, new movie? Yeah. That's my honorable mention. Okay, okay. Is that, that brand new, new Brandon Cronenberg I'll film. Let you, I'll let you talk Slaves. about it then. Yeah. Uh, and you want me to do July, right? Yeah. Okay, so July 7th, Insidious, Fear the Dark. Uh, Patrick Wilson's directing that. Interesting. Mm. Mm. Uh, July 14th, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. July 21st, Oppenheimer and Barbie coming out the same day. Uh, and July 28th, The Marvels. Uh, yeah, that's a huge July. Huge. Superheroes, Ethan Hunt, Christopher Nolan, mm-hmm. Barbie. Ro- Margot Robbie as Barbie, like, and with the Gosling. I mean, oh man, and it, huge. And Insidious, too. I mean, I'm a little curious about that. In between, we've got Guardians and. Um Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones, the Spider Verse, the Flash. Finally, we'll see about that one. Yeah. Okay, so all of this is a great setup. This occurred to me. We've talked about it on the show, but it really was driven home to me on Thursday night. So for everybody out there, and this is Rice Smiles' little public service announcement to you all. Listen to me, everybody. I need you all, if you don't have them now, to make sure that you take yourself to Lowe's and you get a carbon monoxide detector. The short version of the story is on Friday night, myself, my wife, and my child 
were about 30 minutes away from dying from uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. We had to spend the evening in the hospital and we are not at our house for the Christmas holidays because it's full of, we have, we have no heat. Very scary situation. So go spend that $30, get at least a couple, put them in the rooms you sleep in. No joking. If you don't have them, get them. That's my PSA. Low to the floor. Low to the floor. Yeah. No higher than four feet because once it settles, it won't rise above that. But we had a very, everybody, I fainted twice in the span of two and a half minutes. And my daughter went down and was out for about 30 seconds Mm -hmm. in the same period of time. It was the most terrifying event I've ever been through in my entire life. And once we got through it, boy, did I pay for three days with a headache like you've never had hangover wise in your life. Please, Rye Nation, please do me this solid go get a smoke detector. This is not what I'm asking Santa for. This is just what I'm telling you to do. Yeah, this is your public service announcement. So we're sitting in the hotel um, Thursday night. Yeah. Just trying to figure out, you know, there was not much on TV. So we we had Netflix and The Center came on. Now, we limped through the first season of The Center. The Center that's um, Bill Pullman, Jessica Beals in the first one. It's so exposition heavy and they're trying so hard to be subtle with the clues that they provide in the crime that's been committed. It's, it's fucking terrible TV. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. It's everything that I hate about TV, not enough material for the length of the, the runtime, which gets to my thing from Santa. I need Santa to get the message to production companies that 105 to 110 minutes is okay. Yeah. no, your material. This was only furthered by what happened on Saturday. What is it? No, on, on Friday night. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Sorry. When? No. Yeah. Thursday. Okay. Thursday night. We watched a television show, but what set that up before was the movie we saw. We saw what you talked about, yeah, which well, was violent night. Yeah. It's two hours long. Mm-hmm. It's a 90 minute film. Yeah. Period. Yeah. We don't need two hours on everything. Now Oppenheimer probably needs to be two and a half to three. Yeah. That I can see. 95 to 110 mm-hmm. is okay. If you do that well and get in late and get out early, it's a very enjoyable, efficient, reasonable movie going experience. Not every time I sit down, do I need to watch Gone with the Wind? Oh no. Yeah. It's okay to make a 95 to 110 minute movie. Yeah. It's efficiency. And it's uh, just, it's, I, I like describing films as lean they're like kind of like a lean machine. Like, say what anyone wants to say about Alfonso Cuarón's Gravity. That film's an hour and twenty three minutes. It's Perfect. in and out. It knows what it is. It's an adrenaline ride, and it's not staying for two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. People, yeah. There was a time, yeah, when we used to look at a two hour long movie and think, "Boy, that's a long film." Remember that? That wasn't even that long ago. In my youth, uh, I used to call the movie theaters. To get mm-hmm. the the show times for the day. This is back in the day, right? I do. Know those and days. they would go, Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, or uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, uh, showing uh, with a runtime of three hours and 11 minutes. And in my youth, I'd be like, yeah, like mm-hmm. I'd never wanted it to end. Uh, now, because every films that shouldn't be that long are that long, mm-hmm. I need more efficiency. So yeah. I, I might climb on the lap too and wish for that as well. I, I think what it does is it makes your film a little bit more bulletproof when it comes to criticism. Look, if you mm-hmm. have more material to critically analyze and destroy, mm-hmm. it's not working for you. You can also argue, well, maybe that's what saves the film, but rarely does that happen. Look at what the story is. 
analyze what important points you have to get in depth and what ones you can cover lightly and start writing 105 to 110 page scripts again. If you think about it, an hour and 50 minutes, that's a significant amount of time. You can tell a lot of story in that. Definitely. You, got you don't need 230 Wakanda forever. Well, why was, you know, the Batman was two hours and 59 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Are the production companies either so worried that they're going to piss off the teams that make the movie so everybody gets to have their little piece put in there? Or are they worried that because that's become so commonplace that if you see a 95-minute movie, people are going to say, well, I'll just stay at home and watch TV and not go? Because it's very, very puzzling to me why this keeps happening. But that, that could be a very well be. Maybe they want to give people more bang for their buck. Um, I don't know. I think I put a, it was the, the evening... Ticket price, I think, when I went to see Violent Night, I think it was fifteen dollars, and I was, and it was just standard. It wasn't IMAX yeah. or it wasn't. I was like, I was like, this just keeps going up, right? So mm-hmm. maybe they're trying to give them a little bit more, but I don't think that's the way to do it. I mean, lean, efficient filmmaking, writing, directing, and editing—the power of the editor. Like, and we need that guy to come back, yeah, and really trim things down to a more sufficient level. So I, I love your wish list from Santa. So I think we got Oppenheimer slaying. We've yeah. got one larger theme. Can I and you? Um, Let's do the um, honorable mentions or? together. Okay. Because we both have mentioned it now. Mm-hmm. I think we both want Brandon Cronenberg's new film to slay. And the trailer looks like it's got the potential to do so. We both loved Possessor. And frankly, that probably would have been the movie of the year that year had we voted on it. Yeah. That was a slim pickings, but that was a great film regardless. What's your take on Brandon Cronenberg's new film? It looks wild. It does. And I, I think that's why I, I kind of like it. Uh, David Cronenberg's film that he had come out last summer, Crimes of the Future, with Viggo Mortensen and Kristen Stewart. I did not like that movie. It, it felt it, it didn't really have like a really good direction. But I'm very optimistic about what his son uh, can bring. Alexander Skarsgård and Mia Goth. I mean, it's just sign me up. I mean, it's it's a good cast. So we'll, we'll keep our eye out for that one. The title is escaping me, but it's yeah, me too. But it's okay. We're you know maybe we'll cover it on the show. Yeah. Oh, we should. Um, what, do you have another honorable mention you want to do? Those are the two that I wanted to cover. Um, well, you know, I'm excited about Creed three. I know you are. And sure. I think we'll definitely cover that and the prior entries on the show. It's been long talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious about, and we'll save this a little bit for the nightcap. I wonder what the residuals of Top Gun Maverick are going to have on Mission Impossible. Like, is Tom Cruise like a movie star again? Because yeah. I think he is. I think he is, And too. I think he's been exposed to an odd, uh, a new sector of youth that now we're like, oh, that's the guy from Top Gun Maverick. Let's go see Mission Impossible 7. <laughs> right, like, yeah. So that one might have a little bit of a boost because Maverick did so well. So I'm curious about that one. It's a very interesting franchise. I think I teased to you. I don't know how we would do this because there's so much big stuff coming out, but maybe if we did it a little at a time starting in May. Mm-hmm. I would love to cover that entire franchise. Oh, yeah. One through Fallout, Henry Cavill, mm-hmm. uh, J.J. Abrams, Philip Seymour Hoffman with three, John Woo's number two. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be fun. Kind of like what we did with Rocky, right? Yeah. We might have to squeeze. Doesn't De Palma have an entry in there, too? He did the first one, the yeah. The first one, yeah. Uh, but we'd have to squeeze in all the, because, you know, I don't want to talk about Flash and Indiana Jones. You know, yeah. there's a lot of big things to discuss coming up next year, so... I have one more. Go ahead. 
I didn't hear it in the list you went through before uh, we got on the show today, guys. We were talking about what's coming in 2023. No mention of the Wolfman. Not yet. No. That's the other one. I don't think they get that thing greenlit. And let's get it out, Santa. I think they started filming that one yet. Do you are you starting to wonder if that's ever going to happen? I don't know. It's it's getting to that stage where it's like we could pull the plug on this thing whenever. But what about Renfield? Oh yeah, Nicholas Holt as Dracula and Nicholas Cage as Renfield. Weird casting. And <laughs> we did Nick Cage last year, and that was wild and crazy. Uh, okay, so that's I got another one then. You just, mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about this, but now Santa. The two big vampire entries that we know of this year, which would be Salem's Lot, mm-hmm. a much-discussed film on this show, and it's relatively uh, tantamount to my entry into horror with the original one. Yep. And Renfield. Boy, man, if both of those two things get going, and vampires in a way that aren't glistening in the sun and don't want to have sex with you know young, hot women that are throwing themselves at them. Kristen Stewart was never hot, so I take that back. But <laughs> um, then... Vamps yeah. might be back, people. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Do you want to see a remake of The Hunger? If done well. And weird. Yeah. Like, weirdly cast. No, it needs to be weird. Like, Robert Eggers doing The Hunger. Well, he's doing... Perfect. Don't you think he's doing Nosferatu with Bill Skarsgård and Lily Rose Depp? Is he going to make it out this year? Is that a 2024? Ah, It might be a sneaky one at the end of the year Mm -hmm. that it doesn't have a release date yet. But, oh, yeah, sign me up, dude. I love Robert Eggers. The Northman is making my top five of the year. So Cool. Uh, great list. I'm looking forward to the new year. Um, no call in the stocking, Santa. We've been really good this year. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Um, but we got a ton to talk about. Let's dive right into our review breakdown of home alone. There are 15 people in this house. You're the only one who has to make trouble. I'm the only one getting dumb, dumb. You're the only one acting up. Now get upstairs. I am upstairs, dummy. Third floor. Go. It's scary up there. Don't be silly. Fuller will be up in a little while. I don't want a super fuller. You know about him. He wets the bed. He'll pee all over me. I know it. Fine. We'll put him somewhere else. I'm sorry. It's too late. Get upstairs. Everyone in this family hates me. Then maybe you should ask Santa for a new family. I don't want a new family. I don't want any family. Families suck. Just stay up there. I don't want to see you again for the rest of the night. I don't want to see you again for the rest of my whole life. And I don't want to see anybody else either. I hope you don't mean that. You'd feel pretty sad if you woke up tomorrow morning and you didn't have a family. No, I wouldn't. Then say it again. Maybe it'll happen. I hope I never see any jerks again. Power of Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas, everybody. (laughs) So families, right? I mean, okay, you just said it. I the conversation he's having, yeah, is why I think a lot of people are so turned off by the holiday. Mm-hmm. As much as you and I love it, yeah, and we do love it. There is there's challenges to it, and a lot of it is really high stakes because mm-hmm. you've got to put a lot of effort in to get this to live up to the hype that Christmas is. Yeah. Let's just address it. Yeah, it's expensive. It's a lot of effort. The crowds are maddening, etc. Everyone's all stressed out. I mean, for. We, work and yeah. yeah they're just trying to plan everything they got families coming in you're trying to board crazy families too I and i'm mean, gonna add another thing to it that nobody ever brings up it's cold yeah <laughs> it's cold when it's cold as mammals jesse mm-hmm. we're not supposed to be out traversing around yeah. like it's hibernation time yeah christmas has no hibernation around it except maybe christmas day when you're watching shitty nba yeah <laughs> not this year yeah we're watching nfl shitty nfl <laughs> no, no, no. yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> um, so what Kevin is addressing is, I think something that a lot of people or maybe most of us do on some level also have to tackle. And that's God, my family is suffocating me mm -hmm. and there's a whole lot of people here and we're hosting. So the burden is entirely upon our shoulders to make this thing come off without a hitch. Before we get in, uh, I love it. I love it. Before we get into the story, we'll, we'll start with the family and this mm -hmm. crazy night before December 23rd, I believe. Yeah. Uh, before they're about to go off on holiday. But I want to talk about the big elephant in the room. Macaulay Culkin? No, no, no. <laughs> oh. We'll talk about him. Okay. Uh, a John Hughes production. Mm -hmm. uh, screenplay written by him. We've never talked about John Hughes before, and I know we have varying feelings on his films and his writing and whatever, but what do you think about that in, in this film? I mean, this is him not in the director's chair. It's just a screenplay by him. Uh, let's talk about him for a little bit. Yeah, his his filmography is one that some of their stuff in there I really like and some of it I don't like. I love uh, Less Than Zero. He has ties into that, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. I, think I love Career Opportunities. Mm -hmm. But Pretty in Pink and um, Sixteen Candles, for what they were, yeah. kind of leave me cold. And all right, I, I don't want to be the hot take guy. No, that's okay. I might have the same hot but take. But one of his other films is one of my five most overrated films of all time, and it's The Fucking Breakfast Club. I hate it. Yeah. That movie fucking blows. Mm -hmm. So, in my opinion, a lot of people will disagree, but my, my big argument with The Breakfast Club is it's a group of people that rebel against clubs by making a fucking club. Yeah. <laughs> It's literally the title, yeah. if you doubt me. Sure. The Breakfast Club. Yeah. So um, I can't say that I love everything, but I can say that maybe he became so iconic with what he was supposed to do with the Brat Pack Extended. Yeah. That he sort of pigeonholed himself into something that left him very few outs. Because the guy was clearly talented enough to make movies that made a lot of money. And a lot of people do like those films. Mm-hmm. All of them. His whole filmography. Yeah. But this, to me, is his best and last hurrah. Yeah. Because he doesn't have much after this, does he? Uh, a couple small things, like Baby's Day Out, yeah. he wrote. Yeah. Um, Curly Look Sue. Who's Talking. Uh, that's not. That's Amy Heckerling. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's... This kind is, of the end. This is his big send-off, right? Go. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, I think I'm, I'm with you a little bit. I think maybe I think why people like him so much is he definitely had his finger on the pulse of... Some sort of realism through angst. Gen X angst. Yeah, yeah. And showing high school kids and what they're going through, showing youth adolescence and kind of from their perspective. I, he, I think he wrote that very well. Mm -hmm. I really, really like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's yeah, probably, that. I yeah. think that might be my favorite Hughes thing, not including Home Alone because that might actually trump all of it. Uh, and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Um Steve Martin and Candy. And I really like in that film how, you know, they, you spend all this time with these two characters and it's kind of a really shitty just road trip, right? And at the end, it they kind of gets down to this, like, really tragic occurrence of, spoiler alert, like, John Kennedy's wife's been dead for years and he has no place to go. That's sad. Just And he's just on the road, right? That's how he keeps his mind busy. Uh, so I think those ones are, are really good, but yeah, I, I don't come back to Breakfast Club or 16 Candles very frequently, but I get the guy. Um, had Definitely had a talent as a writer, and the, specifically in these two years, he wrote Christmas Vacation, mm -hmm. uh, which Chris Columbus was attached to direct and had to bail because he could not 
deal with Chevy Chase one more second. Such is the story with many people <laughs> who have worked with Chevy oh, Chase. I huh? know. I know. It's very shocking. Like, yeah. I read an article years ago that just broke all that down, and they interviewed him, and they asked him what he thought about it, and he was like, it, I'm, it sucks that I have this reputation, but, like, I, I think he kind of owned up to it a little bit, but a cantankerous asshole yeah. from the SNL days through Caddyshack through all the vacation stuff. So Chris Columbus is like, I got to get out of here. This I'm going to kill this guy. That's why we both hate Steely Dan too. <laughs> I don't hate Steely Dan, man. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I, uh, so Chris Columbus was like, I got to get out of here. So he was like, I actually have another idea that, you know, you can jump on to direct if we get it greenlit and it was home alone. So, mm-hmm. Uh, talk a little bit about Chris Columbus and the road to get this film made because I think it's very fascinating. But let's talk about the, the family, the McKellar family. We're here in suburban Chicago. Well, can I ask you one question before you get into the family? Yeah. Planes and trains aside, mm-hmm. I'm just making sure that I'm saying what I want to say. Give me a second to sort of put this in my head. Mm-hmm. I'm not neglecting anything. Not less than zero. I'm gonna pour some. Not sixteen fashion. candles. Definitely not. Okay, I think I can say with pretty clear certainty that I believe Home Alone is his most high-concept film. Oh, yeah. This is easily pitchable in one sentence. I don't think much of... Planes and Trains, possibly. Yeah. Uh, Sixteen Candles, Teenage Angst, P... Yeah, yeah no, no, there's yeah. nothing overly special about that. Do you know what I mean? Um, Breakfast Club, kind of the, all that stuff sort of fits in the same sort of category. How would you pitch this movie? Um, exhausted with his family, a young man gets the Christmas wish he never wished he'd been granted. A week with no adult supervision and two criminals ready to steal everything that he never got to give to his relatives on Christmas. Something along those lines. That's yeah. very, very, it's a, the second half, that's a little rough. Yeah. But that's something, or, or, yeah, something like those. Everybody has a Christmas. Everybody has a wish for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Kevin's to lose his family for a week. Mm-hmm. What happens when that wish is granted and Santa Claus isn't coming, but two terrible criminals <laughs> are go. instead? There, that, that, there that, it is. That's good. Still have it, don't I? Yeah. Uh, even the tagline of this film, I think, is really genius. It's it, the taglines: uh, a family comedy without the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of sums it up, right? Um, I just think that is where we maybe see a variation on on some of the Hughes stuff. Yeah. Okay, now you went with the McAllister family, so go ahead. Oh, my God, this family. Uh, <laughs> this What? Yeah. Here in suburban Chicago, it's December 23rd or the 22nd, one of these days, and this is the most chaotic house I've ever been witness to. Okay, so uh, Peter McAllister and I can't remember the... The wife's name. Catherine O'Hara? Yeah. Uh, I'll look it up. They have five kids. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. (laughs) It's just like, and Kevin's the baby of the family. And we'll get a little bit to that in a second. Also here in the house is his brother's eldest daughter, who they're going to go see in Paris. His brother lives in Paris, and he has four kids. But Heather, the oldest daughter, is here with the McAllister family as well. His other older brother, Frank is also here in the house. And guess what, Matt? They also have five kids. Yep. Son of a bitch. I mean, it's just... Yeah, there's just a full house. 20 people in this house, and it's just chaos, and everyone's talking over each other. They're sword fighting on the, the stairs. Joe Pesci here is already casing houses in disguise uh, as a cop 
the wet bandits. Yeah. And Kate, her name's Kate. Yeah. Yeah. Kate McAllister. And he can't get a word into anybody because it's just chaos. Right. And poor little Kevin is kind of thrust in the mix. And especially in this viewing, I really felt for the guy. And I, I noticed how Columbus decided to shoot it. Every camera angle of Kevin is looking down at him. Mm-hmm. Until that moment of sound I played where he's on the stairs and he's actually eye level with mom, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's just talking about him. His older sister calls him Les Incompento, like which is like your dumbass. It is Sonsa. Uh, his other brother tells him, Kevin, you're such a disease. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Buzz, his eld- uh, oldest brother, wants to feed him to his tarantula. And then he, for shits and giggles, one of the brilliant parts of the movie is this stuff with old man Marley, the snow shoveler of Maple Street or whatever. Yeah. But Buzz is such an asshole to his younger brother. Spins some crazy story about how he's been murdering families for years and that the bodies are in the salt. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he's just doing it to scare his little brother, right? I mean, there's no truth. He knows it too. And then they get pizza, a hundred or uh, twelve pizzas. They eat all the cheese on purpose because it's the only one Kevin likes, right? And they, they cause a big scene. I got nothing against Kevin in this opening bit. His family sucks, like big time. Yeah, they're all mean to him too. Well, if that's going to be any further evidence, it's what happens. Mm-hmm. They literally forget him. Yeah. So. I know there's a lot of traffic in the house and we can make excuses because it's early and we're late for the flight and all of these other things. How do you forget your child? I'll tell you how. And it's, oh. it's, it's, an, it's another favorite moment of the film for me. No, no, I mean in the movie, but like in real life. You know, I don't know how you do that in real life. Yeah, no way. Uh, and get all the way to the airport. And, and it's just yeah, the, the scurrying to the airport. There's so many factors that make it so plausible that, mm-hmm. you know, we can try and poke holes and everything, but... The, 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 Oh yeah. To, to Hughes's script, I think it's it's pretty airtight with the rationale and in a very 1990s way. Like today, I mean, we get on a cell phone and be like, "Oh, you're home. I'm on my way back to you." Right? Mm-hmm. It's very it's a very simple solution now, but yeah. He goes upstairs. I mean, he he has that run in with Joe Pesci where he sees the gold tooth, which is going to come back a little bit later. But he's up in the attic where everyone else is downstairs. Um. They're not sending Fuller up there because he pisses the bed. Actually, Macaulay's younger brother, Rory. Oh, no, 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 Kieran. Kieran. Yeah. Uh, Which is really, at that moment, I don't know. It's just like when he gets smashed up against the thing. (laughs) Poor little kid. Yeah. Look what you did, you little jerk. Mm -hmm. Dude, Uncle Frank sucks. Not only is he like a bottom feeder, but he's a cheapskate, uh, hates his nephews, uh, and is looking for the cheap way out every which way, right? I love that you call him bottom feeder. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, he's the worst. And he, he's bad in part two as well. So hateable, right? But, you know, we got a, a, a blizzard coming in, so it knocks out all the power and the phone lines. So telecommunication-wise, we can't get a hold of our son. We woke up late because it killed the power, so we're just on a mad dash to the airport. Mm-hmm. And... One of my favorite moments of the movie, stupid Mitch Murphy from across the street saunters over to the American Express uh, caravan guys and just starts fucking with all these guys. Does this gas get good gas mileage? Does it have automatic transmission? And you can can tell that the McAllisters probably hate this kid. Mm -hmm. He's just like annoying little Mm -hmm. neighbor vagabond kid. 
And they count him. He's in the head count, right? Yep. And that's why they think Kevin's amongst them. Right. Oh, my God, that stupid kid. I guess him and his family got what's coming to them because they're going to come back to a house that's flooded out in their basement. Exactly. (laughs) That's right. Well, I mean, it's a more ingenious way to mess up a count than what we saw in open water. Oh, yeah. So I'm buying it. And, yeah, in the middle of all that, as you are about to miss your flight, because you're late, Mm -hmm. because you overslept, which I also totally get. Yeah. Sure, you totally, and you buy it. Now, the question is on this, and I bet you've seen this film probably 30 times. I bet it might be more. Kevin's wish is, Christmas wish is, I wish you all were gone. I wish I didn't have to see you anymore. Are you believing in the magic of Christmas and a touch of supernaturalness, or do you believe this is just circumstantial? Because we've oh, had no. quite a robust discussion in my house about this for a number of years. I'm pretty sure it's circumstantial. Uh, that, I kind of am too. That weathery montage with the breaking of power and all that, like that, that's what makes me buy into it. But from Kevin's perspective, I think it's entirely supernatural. Magic, right? It's just like, oh my God, like I made my family disappear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I made my family disappear. Right on cue. Kevin, you're completely helpless. No, Kevin, you're what the French call les incompetents. Kevin, I'm going to feed you to my tarantula. Kevin, you are such a disease. There are 15 people in this house, and you're the only one who has to make trouble. Look what you did, you little jerk. Uncle Frank sent us out. I made my family disappear. Mac, it came from your perspective. Can you imagine if you, that was all in one night. Mm-hmm. Just taking all of that abuse, like, hell yeah, I'm going to make my family. They're, they're going to turn Kevin into an incel, man. It's just like, <laughs> right. Jesus Christ. Right. You yeah. get called the disease. You're going to be fed to a tarantula. You're a little jerk. You're you're the only one who's caused a problem? Yeah. Okay, narrow-sighted mom. Are you sure I'm the only one? Come and, on. And, in, and you know what? We're gonna, I'll talk a little bit about Catherine O'Hara coming up. I can see mom's perspective, and maybe this plays into, oh, my God, these people have five kids. And maybe they're just, they don't have enough time to filter out attention to all of them. Mm-hmm. And I really like how she comes around at the at the end of this film and realizes her mistake. Uh, you know, moms are fallible, right? Sure. I mean, they, 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 they can own up to that. But like, I like in here, or she's just like, she's like 15 people, you're the only one causing problems. We need less of you right now. Yeah. So get upstairs. And what does Kevin do after that? I, he wanders the house and <laughs> he goes, hello. Is this a joke? Like, he, he can't, even can't believe it himself, right? And then does what any... How old is he? Eight? Nine? Yeah. He goes nuts. Mm-hmm. He's, jump, he's gonna do everything he can do that he would get yelled at, right? Mm-hmm. He's gonna eat junk food. He's gonna jump on the bed. He's gonna... The, 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 my favorite part is he's like, oh, I've always wanted to do this. I'm gonna get in a sled and I'm gonna go down these stairs. Yeah. From Kevin's perspective, he's like, I've always wanted to do this and I know I would get in trouble. Oh my God, he almost kills himself. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, he's just going ham on this first day. Mm -hmm. And it's not until the burglars come where he's like really sheds and he's like, oh my God, I'm actually scared. I want my mom, right? I love that part of it is I'm going to watch this movie that I can't watch and eat this cheese pizza too, all myself. Guys, I'm eating junk and watching rubbish. You better come out and stop me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's an element of that in everything we do. There's the stuff that we're not supposed to do. And when... 
the cat is gone and the mouse can play. It's a chance to, you know, let it all go a little bit. Now, in Kevin's case, I think letting it all go is really well written because I buy that those are the things that an eight or nine, I'm going to jump on this bed. I would do. I'm going to eat this big ass bowl of cereal. I'm going to eat this whole cheese pizza myself. I'm not going to turn on porn or that I'm going to watch this movie that you guys said I can't watch because of violence. Is this the movie they were watching? Uncle Frank won't let me watch the movie. It's not even rated R. Yep. I love it. Angels with filthy souls. Yeah. Such a well-designed rebellion menu. Yeah. I buy it. I buy it too. Because the other thing too, that he's not going to go out and buy like a lottery ticket or grab a pack of smokes because he's still nine. He's like, there's a limited depth or, or breadth to what Kevin can get into trouble on. Yeah. It's perfect. Do you like the little movie within a movie? Yes. It feels so very film noir to Mm -hmm. me, Johnny and snakes. And I love that the guy who, May as well be Robert Logia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes. I'm going to give you to the count of 10 before I kick your ugly, yellow, no good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. And then he goes, one, two, ten. <laughs> <laughs> it just blows this guy away. And then Kevin's really shocked, right? That's when he goes mom. Mm-hmm. And then through maybe some sort of supernatural occurrence, it like jumps her on the plane, right? And realizes, oh, I think we kind of forgot something. And through all that, she's like, oh, my God, we left Kevin at home. Like, now it's hit her. And I love all the outs that Hughes just decides to nix in making this an easy just switcheroo. We get to Paris. All the flights are booked. Like, we can't get a flight back. We're on standby. Uh, the The power's out, so the pol- we can't go. The police go, but Kevin's actually spooked by the wet bandits, right? Because they come to the door. So he's not answering the door for anybody. So I just like how it's set up. It's, you know, you you could poke holes in everything, but I think, you know, Hughes does a really good job of eliminating those outs and making it as difficult as possible to get back home. Poking this thing full of holes would be the biggest mistake you could make in the viewing of this film because it's going to undo the physics of the Rube Goldberg, which is, I think, probably my favorite part of the film. I'm sure cheers too. Oh, my God, yeah. So if you're going to do that, then... I would just sort of question, do you do that in every film? And this is this is not going to be anybody's first time through Home Alone, I hope, that's listening to the show. Oh, yeah. This is not that kind of movie. Yeah. It, it is pretty far-fetched if you want to get down to it, but kind of isn't in some ways. Mm-hmm. This is not the film to do that with. No, no, no. Go ahead and play a little fast and loose with some things because it allow, the payoff is well worth that price. Good, good. Well said. Yeah. Um. I do like now, so, okay, so he's had his day of fun, and then I like that he kind of sets into some, like, adult routines. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets ready, and I love how he breaks down in almost a Patrick Bateman sort of way. I uh, uh, wash my hair with a honey almond bu- 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 yeah. uh, scrub and an alcohol with little to no face, or a face wash with little to no alcohol, and he's just kind of breaking it down, and it's like, man, this guy just, like, went and took a shower and, like, went through the full routine for the first time because he had no one, like, telling him, like, what to do. What to do, yeah. Yeah. Getting to kind of live like an adult for a bit. And in the most realistic moment of the movie, this is something I would absolutely do, and I did this a couple times growing up where, you know, when my parents did come home, they'd have to help me fix a gigantic thing I had broke. But, like, I love when he goes into Buzz's room and starts climbing up his shelves to get his money at the top. Yeah. And just... Breaks all of it. Oh, that is, I would totally do that. Yeah. 
lets the spider out, which, again, that's going to come back later. This just rogue spider running in the house, which mm-hmm. would creep me out. But I, I like he's going, and he finds a Playboy, and he's just like, oh, my God, no clothes? How sick of me. Gross. <laughs> and then this Buzz's girlfriend, Buzz, your girlfriend, woof. Yeah. I mean, he's living like a kid, but he's kind of tapping into some, like, adult things. And the first thing is, like, I need to go get a toothbrush because mine's in my suitcase that my mom packed for me. Isn't that kind of really nice? You know, that's how you know the parents do deep down care and they're just maybe a little overworked as when we first meet Kevin, he's like, oh, like, like you're going to have to pack your own suitcase. And he's like, pack my suit. And he's really stressed out about it. And his, one of his older sisters says, what are you stressing about? And you know, mom's going to pack your suitcase. At the end of the day, she did, right? Yeah. Because his, his toothbrush is gone. So they care. It's just, they're just, they're stressed out by the holidays. I mean, everyone is. This is just something really smart with the piggy bank that you're talking about. Yeah. They have to give him some means of income and it can't be a credit card that got left behind. It has to be. They do that in part two. Yeah. But it has to be something that I think is limited, but germane to what a nine-year-old would need it for. And a piggy bank perfectly fits because it buys off enough of, well, how does he get the money to buy the pizza? How does it, now you have at least a viable way for him to provide for himself. Mm -hmm. And I love that as much as he's on his own doing his thing. And once the first 24 hours of all hell breaks loose and Mm -hmm. he's just gone ham and bat out of hell crazy. Now he's got to get on with like, what's the rest of his life. But we don't see a ton of remorse for missing his family yet. Not yet. He's just sort of along. It's coming, but he's sort of along the lines of, well, I do need to brush my teeth and I do need to learn how so let's get on with it. I have to go get groceries. Yeah. I kind of like all that. I have to do laundry. Like, I didn't do, I wasn't doing a lot of laundries at at that age. I didn't know how to work the machine like that. And he's just going about it. I just, I love that aspect, but let's talk about the wet bandits. It's so funny. It's so funny. What are you laughing at? You did it again, didn't you? You left the water running, didn't you? What's wrong with you? Why do you do that? I told you not to do it. Harry, it's our calling card. Calling card. All the great ones leave their mark. We're the wet bandits. You're sick. You know that? You're really sick. I'm not sick. Yes, you are. I'm not that's sick. That's a sick thing to do. We don't need that card. Don't tell you. me what to do, okay? I can do it if I we, want to. We, we, hey, that's sick. sick. Hey, watch out! <laughs> You gotta watch out for traffic, son, you know? Sorry. Sandy, don't visit the funeral homes, little buddy. Okay, okay. Merry Christmas. What's the matter? I don't like the way that kid looked at me. Did you see that? You ever seen him before? I saw a hundred kids this week. Let's see what house he goes into. These two guys make the film for me. Them, Daniel Stern, and Joe Pesci together. I don't know if Columbus decided to tap into like an Abbott and Costello, Laurel and Hardy, like skinny, tall, doof, and like kind of stocky, straight Mm -hmm. man, right? Mm -hmm. But it totally works. And I love that it's Pesci who's just like holding every ounce to not say fuck in this movie. Yeah. 
He's doing almost like a Yosemite Sam. Fridge, 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 fridge. They're so good together. And it was almost, Daniel Stern almost couldn't do the movie because of a scheduling conflict. And they had another actor in there, Daniel Roebuck. And the chemistry just wasn't there. So when it freed up, they brought Stern back. And thank God they did because uh, these guys are great together. Like, their ambition is, I guess, admirable and what they want to take down in this neighborhood, but they could not be more ill-equipped to right. do so, right? <laughs> there are certain decisions you can make when you write the script yeah. that change the course of good versus evil so that we can prevent this from turning on, turning into Batman on the side of a terrace shooting yeah. batarangs okay. at, at uh, Doomsday. These guys have this silly argument about their calling card, which is to turn on the water in the house, the wet bandits. And then we proceed to get to know them a little bit better. And you kind of realize they're somewhere between numbskull and Nimrod and not really great at what they're doing. Basically, these guys are like are going to rob the cul-de-sac. Yeah. This is not some high, elaborate, well-drawn out. This isn't Bodhi in the, in the dead presidents. This no, no, is no, not no, that. No, this no, is no, no, no. two nincompoops. That basically couldn't hold up to 7-Eleven, so we're going to get knock off the corner house of the cul-de-sac. And I think that that's important because as inept as they might be, which is rather inept, still two inept adults versus a nine-year-old kid pose a formidable op opposition. Yeah. That is such an art. We have talked about that ad nauseum on the show, and it gets neglected in the control or the understanding of characters in the script that... Um, that this is pinned with. You've got to give him something to go against, which is these robbers, but they're kind of worthless. But even still, it's two grown men against a young child, a mm -hmm. young boy. Yeah. And um, the comic relief, I think, also helps to keep them from being, you know, Don Cheadle and out of sight compared to yeah. Yeah. the wet bandits <clears throat> in Home Alone. Yeah, there's a certain air of believability that once we do get to the third act, extravaganza maybe kevin's got a shot yeah 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 that these guys are just kind of like they don't got it all there like one rules over one but mm -hmm. even he's fallible as well yeah I, I really i really dig into that and what we're gonna put them through is gonna be just so much so much fun to watch uh joe pesci had a hell of a 1990 because he was in this film the biggest film of the year and then he did goodfellas the same year and won best supporting actor i mean well, my cousin Vinny's got to be right around the corner. If not before 90, this, it's 90, right after. 92. It. Yeah. Yeah, so Pesci's in a moment. <laughs> there are Lethal Weapons somewhere in there too, right? Oh, yeah. Lethal Weapon 2 is 89. So, yeah, he's all floating around this thing. So, good good for him. I mean, there's a lot of movies in there that I like. Do you have a favorite Joe Pesci film? Oh, Goodfellas, for sure. Not Casino? No, Goodfellas. Yeah. It's, it's tough though, huh? Yeah, Casino's good. He's good in it. Yeah. I think I've said before on this podcast what my favorite line from... Casino is is he's like he's like what I'm gonna do I'm gonna put you I'm, I'm gonna put you in a coma and like and then I'm gonna go to a prison and then by the time you're coming out of that coma I'm be getting out of prison and I'm gonna fucking do it again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. he, he has a, a very crazy death in that film in the cornfield man. Boy, you that? Yep. Well, that would be a great film to talk about one of these days. But yeah, yeah, he's he's really good here. And then so you juxtapose that with what the family's doing. Um, Overseas, and I really like this little exchange between the the siblings here. This is so pointless. What? 
We're here riding in this apartment. Kevin's at home. Mom's at the airport. So? You're not at all worried about Kevin. Why should I be? No, he's acted like a jerk once too many times, and this time he caught it in the butt. He's so little and helpless. Don't you think he's flipped out? The little child can use a couple of days in the real world. You're not at all worried that something might happen to him? No, for three reasons. A, I'm not that lucky. Two, we have smoke detectors. And D, we live in the most boring street in the United States of America, where nothing even remotely dangerous will ever happen. Period. What does he do? Uh, A, two, and then D. What does this so stupid? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but you can kind of see the family turning around a little bit. I mean, his sister's like, I'm a little concerned about what's going on here. This is kind of a crazy situation. And Buzz is just like, no, he's he's going to be fine. Uh, I, I, I really like that. Catherine O'Hara here at the airport just trying to do whatever she can to get back home. And she's selling uh, Rolex watches. She's selling this just to find a way to get back. And then when she does get back, uh, you know, she's stateside, but now there's no flights where there's weather. I mean, it's like really hard to get back. Um, I really like this moment from her. Uh, we'll play it out. Um, we'll talk a little bit about it. Excuse me. Look, I have been awake for almost 60 hours. I'm tired and I'm dirty. I have been from Chicago to Paris to Dallas to where the hell am I? Scranton. I am trying to get home to my eight-year-old son. And now that I'm this close, you're telling me it's hopeless. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no way. This is Christmas, the season of perpetual hope. Mammoth. And I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike. If it costs me everything I own, if I have to sell my soul to the devil himself, I am going to get home to my son. Uh, ma'am, if there was anything at all I could do for do you it. today, do anything. Uh, I can get you a hotel room. You what? Can... Excuse me. Can you excuse us for a second? Can I see you for a second, please? Excuse us. Okay. Couldn't help but hearing you you got a little bit of a dilemma there. We got a crisis ourselves. <laughs> Allow me to introduce myself. Gus Polinski. How are you? Polka King of the Midwest. The, the Kenosha Kickers. No? That's okay. I thought you might have recognized. Anyways, um, I had a few hits a few years ago. Uh, that's why, I, you know, just polka, polka, polka. Polka, polka, polka. Polka, polka, polka. No? Twin Lakes polka. Damavuji polka, a.k.a. Kiss Me polka. Polka twist. Well, these are songs. Yeah. Yeah, we some fairly big hits for us, you know, in the early 70s, you know. <laughs> Yeah, we sold about 623 copies. Oh, my God. In Chicago? No, Sheboygan. <laughs> Very big in Sheboygan. They loved it. You know? We're That's huge in Belgium right now. Citizen Day. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling on here. Our flight was canceled, so we got to drive. So, uh, see the guy in the yellow jacket over there by the budget sign? He's going to rent us a nice big uh, van, and we're going to drive to Milwaukee. Now, I heard you had some problems. You're uh, getting to Chicago to see your kid or something? Uh, my son, he... We left, and he... He's there. Oh, jeez. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll, we'll gladly drive you. It's on the way to Milwaukee. You'd give me a ride? Sure we will. Why not? You know, you got to get home and see your kid. 
A ride to Chicago? Sure, you know, it's Christmas time. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you. You, you don't mind going with some polka bums. No, I'd love to. Oh, to John Candy, huh? God bless John Candy. God bless John Candy. You want to know the coolest bit of trivia I think I have for this? There's a lot of cool trivia. He, because uh, he had did Uncle Buck, right, with mm-hmm. John Hughes uh, a few years prior. He did this role as a favor to him. He only did it for $400. No kidding. And I guess the pay it forward to Candy then uh, was, I guess, Hughes or Columbus. Uh, they let him improvise his entire his entire part. Genius. So he didn't have to go off script. So all this stuff he's saying about Sheboygan and we only sold 671 copies in the early 70s. Or just I, And he's going to tell one a little bit later. And I got audio for it. It's so good. Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. Is John Candy the Ghostbuster that we always wanted that we never got? He was supposed to be in the movie. I know, right? Don't, you, do the, you wish that would have happened? Oh, yeah. Instead of Hudson? But yeah, yeah, I think he probably would have fit in better. Yeah. Um, he was supposed to play the Rick Moranis part uh, in, in that film. Oh, my God, and that would have been fantastic. I, but Rick Moranis is also good. Uh, and he bailed. It just it, it, it was just it wasn't getting off the ground fast enough, and he had other opportunities. So... He's so, he's so good. I, it's, it's hard to describe like him in general as this, you know, comedian with, you know, this improvisational quality, but he's kind of like an everyman, but he's also can play like a doof. Like there's so many John Candy movies that I really like. Splash. Yeah, Splash, Armed and Dangerous, um, mm-hmm. Cool Runnings. There's, there's so many things that he fit he fit into so many different genres it wasn't just there was comedy there but he could kind of do a whole bunch of other things and there's a book i have down there that is in super devo 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 hell it's called the a confederacy of dunces and they've been trying to make this movie since the 70s john belushi was attached died candy was attached died chris farley was attached oh, really yeah seriously died uh, it's kind of a cursed production, but I, Candy would have been perfect to, to do that film. It's often considered one of the best American novels ever written. So, um, you should let me borrow that. Yeah, yeah. Grab it on the way out. Yeah, it's pretty good. But it's kind of a bit of a, if people don't know about it, Second City Television, the Canadian equivalent to Saturday Night Live, is no O'Hara on that for a while? Yeah, this too? is a bit of a reunion. Right, so yeah. yeah, Catherine O'Hara, John Candy, Rick Moranis, Eugene Levy, Goldie Hawn. Yeah, Joe, Joe Flattery. Uh, they got some pretty good uh, players in there, and that's kind of where a lot of these people got their start. And it didn't last very long, but kind of an interesting little comedy <laughs> troupe there. And what do you think about Catherine O'Hara? And I oh, God, I think she's so good in this movie, and I think she's really good in Beetlejuice, and she's kind of had an interesting late career resurgence too. With she's really good on on Shit's Creek as 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 Moira Shit, <laughs> or not not Moira Shit. Uh, oh God, what the hell is that family's name? But she's so good in that show, and it, she's so good at improvising. Like, give her something, and she just kind of takes it and runs with it. All those Christopher Guest mockumentaries. What do, you, what do you think about her? And then in this role specifically. She is the actress in Hollywood that didn't quite get to as great as she would have because Frances McTormand beat her to the punch. Oh, yeah. But I put those two talent-wise in exactly the same category. Uh, I just don't think, well, she did Mary Cohen. <laughs> so there's part of that. Yeah. And then she just didn't quite 
get as lucky. That's not saying though, she doesn't have a stellar career in anything she's in. And you know, the thing with both of those two that I think is so impressive, mm-hmm. a lot of actresses make their chops on their physical. Yeah. Neither one of the two of them were able to do that. Yeah. Um, and the other one too, that when we were talking to Joe Pesci and this, what led me down to this road to draw that corollary between the two, what I, what I can never quite get about Joe Pesci is why Hollywood tried for about five minutes to turn Bob Hoskins into everything that Joe Pesci already was Mm. because Bob Hoskins slayed a couple of roles that Joe Pesci would have been getting. And I'm not talking about Mario brothers, (laughs) but Roger rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. I could see Pesci in that. And, um, she's wickedly talented. And I think it comes from that space that you said, if you are sketch comedy and you have to be on your toes and think and act and change your colors and your skins that quickly, that gives you a versatility yeah. to where even in the range of character X, as you run this gamut of emotions, mm-hmm. I buy all of them. And you know, what's really talented in that, the sound that you played a few minutes ago. Yeah. She doesn't take that stress and turn it into bitchy. Yeah. It's not, it's not pathetic, but it's still like, cause it's really easy after mom has forgotten son, it would have been really easy to be like, God, she sucks. And now she sucks even more. Cause look at how she's reeling on the, this agent. She, they, they keep it on. They're bringing her back yeah. to a more likable state. Again, when you say, I will sell my soul to the devil just to get home to my son, you can't hate that, right? kind of love that person. Yeah, that's that's pretty. I mean, she's really come around to this horrendous mistake, and I think she's trying to be better as a parent yeah. uh, and doing whatever she can to, to get back to them. To that never-ending Speaking challenge. Speaking of, of Mr. Bob Hoskins, real quick, <laughs> I think he, you know, and Mr. James Cameron's Spider-Man... I think Bob Hoskins was in the running for Otto Octavius. I Oh, he, Christ. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Jay Jonah at first. No. Octavius? Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. Good choice. I could have seen that. Mm. No, Stan Lee wanted to play Jameson. I could see that, too. And James Cameron would probably be like, fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah. And a Santa, uh, Santa, film Santa. I want to watch James Cameron's Spider-Man. I just want to see what it would look like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they should do, he should come out and do something about that and give us all the little hidden gems that never been released about what happened and how close they got. And I'd love that. I would love to yeah, sit down and just for like two hours, just like, what was your idea? What was your plan? You know, that film would have slayed. Like it, it would have been a probably from what we've read, a very different take on Spider-Man. They could even do a great double feature and they could do Superman lives oh. with, uh, um, the director that was not attached to um, Tim Burton. Thank you, Tim yeah. Burton, and then Cameron and Spy and his super and oh, his Spider. I would love that. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? That'd be really good. Uh, but we're getting in here into the to the end of the film. You know, Kevin's trying to ward off the wet bandits. He he <laughs> has a bunch of you know standees and music playing so they don't come and rob that night. And then the next day, Marv comes to the door, and so he plays. Angels with Filthy Souls with the firecrackers from Buzz's room to kind of like amplify the gunfire from the movie. And dude, Marv's so stupid. He thinks a mob hit just took place in this suburban families thing. He's like, one of the other guys got blown away. And I know I heard that name before. So like, they're so stupid. They can't put the movie and the audio together. Uh, But they, they watch Kevin come out and he makes himself a little Christmas tree you know, again, making making Christmas here at the house. Like, I wouldn't know how to do any of that. Yeah. And then they're like, he's home alone. We're coming back here tonight. 
Uh, we're taking it. It doesn't matter. We're not going to let anything else get in the way. We'll come back at about 9 o'clock when it's dark. Yeah. Kids are scared of the dark. You're afraid of the dark too, Mark. That's so good. <laughs> I am not. And so I think Kevin's, I think at this point, he's really freaked out. I mean, he's like, what do I do? And so he goes to, this was a great little detail that just was just like kind of very strange. But he goes to see this like dime store Santa, right? Yeah. Who's off his shift, going to go get plastered at some party. And he's like, I know you're not the real Santa, but... I would really like to have my family back. He lists all his brothers and sisters and his mom and dad. And in a very poor uh, show of judgment, he gives this potentially like pedophile Santa his home address. <laughs> Tell them to go to 675 Lincoln Boulevard. And I'm like, dude, Kevin, stranger danger. That's <laughs> right. Dude, this Santa's a creep. <laughs> they got us not Billy Bob Thornton from Bad Santa. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, a bit of... Um, a leap of faith, but we're going to start seeing that become a thing for Kevin because he's going to hook up with old man Marley too. Do you like that he goes to church? I'd love it. I love it. What else are you going to do? Yeah. Um. Yes, I like that. And not, not for any secular or non-secular beliefs. I just think when that kid is in that state of desperation, I buy that you would ask for help from wherever you might possibly get it. Yeah. Yeah, I totally love that. So I got to tell the story. So... Growing up, I didn't own this movie until eventually they bought it for me, my parents, so I could just watch it whenever I wanted to, but I would rent this film all the time, mm -hmm. and it got to the point where my I think my mom was getting a little fed up with how much I was watching Home Alone, and she was like, she would trick me, and she'd go rent something and then tell me, oh, you'll like this, it's like Home Alone, and mm -hmm. then it, it would be nothing like this movie, and I would hate it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I got into like a rut of like, I just, I wanted every movie to be this movie, wow. the, the physical comedy, just the scenarios. I just, I loved it so much. And this scene that we're, we're getting to in the church was my least favorite scene of the whole movie. I would fast forward to this scene because really? I wanted to get to the, the traps. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to get to the traps, but you know, as I've gotten older, right. You know, mm -hmm. more mature this is the best scene of the movie yeah. right here. Yeah. We got these, you know, Christmas Eve mass and there's this choir. It's a very sparsely filled church. And this man who may as well be the boogeyman of Lincoln Avenue <laughs> right. uh, yeah. comes up to Kevin. I love how Kevin is just like so scared in his tracks. And when he comes over there and this very nice man is just like, may I sit down? And he's like, huh? And he's like, sure, I guess you're not going to kill me with your shovel and put me in the salt. Right. In the um, church. And this conversation that they have, I think, is really good. And I, I got I got a little piece of it here. Oh, you're always welcome to church. I'm not welcome with my son. Mm. Years back, before you and your family moved on the block, I had an argument with my son. How old is he? Well, he's grown up. We lost our tempers. And I said I didn't care to see him anymore. He said the same. We haven't spoken to each other since. If you miss him, why don't you call him? I'm afraid if I call him, he won't talk to me. How do you know? I don't know. I'm just afraid he won't. No offense, but aren't you a little old to be afraid? You can be a little old for a lot of things. You're never too old to be afraid. That's true. I've always been afraid of our basement. It's dark. There's weird stuff down there. And it smells funny, that sort of thing. 
It's bothered me for years. The basements are like that. Then I made myself go down there to do some laundry, and I found out it's not so bad. All this time I've been worrying about it, but if you turn on the lights, it's no big deal. What's your point? My point is you should call your son. What if he won't talk to me? At least you'll know. Then you can stop worrying about it, and he won't have to be afraid anymore. I don't care how mad I was. I talked to my dad, especially around the holidays. So this old man Marley, this benefactor of Lincoln Avenue who salts everyone's sidewalks so they don't slip and break a bone, is the boogeyman has this awful reputation because of everything the kids are saying is really this harmless old man who has a really tragic story because he doesn't have this relationship with his son anymore. This is really sad stuff here. It is, and it's drawn from really high literature. This is very Christmas Carol. The fact yeah, his name yeah. is Marley, and it mm-hmm. feels like ghosts of Christmas past, present, mm-hmm. and future all in this church having this discussion. Kevin's getting a snapshot into his future of like what it's like with no family. Well, it's Scrooge, man. Yep. And then you give him the name Marley, it's pretty hard not to look at the angle that you're approaching this from with Dickens. Now, I've never seen Columbus or um, Hughes. Hughes admit that, but it's all over it. Sure, yeah. Which, of course it is, because if we're talking about Christmas movies that inspired other Christmas movies, pretty hard not to go with Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Do you like that story? I do, yeah. Love it. I it's love very it. timeless. I think, God, how many adaptations of that film have been done? I mean, but it's so universally can be adapted, right? Mm-hmm. And to Kevin, wise beyond his years. He's right. Gives some pretty good advice, right? Yeah. And, you know, around the time, yeah, I feel bad for this old man. And just like, oh, my God, for the last 20 years, he's not had this relationship with this son. He has to come watch his granddaughter from afar um, because he's not in her life. Everyone thinks Mm. he's a psychopath, serial killer. Like, oh, my God. (coughs) And this little boy, Kevin McAllister, again, the adult part of him that's had to mature in the last two days, actually gives some really good advice to him on, like, what you should do. Yeah. And I love this friendship bond that they form here. And now it's not fear. And now it's not boogeyman. This is actually a really good guy, right? Mm-hmm. But it's almost nine o'clock. So we got to get to it. Maybe my favorite moment of the movie growing up, the setting of the traps to this John Williams variation on this Christmas music. Oh my God. I love it so much. It's the nail in the, in the, in the in the tar, it's the 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 hot you know you know grill starter on the doorknob. It's icing the the driveway. The micro machines, the the saran wrap with the glue on it. It just everything about it. It just the I bowling lo- ball. I love this montage so much. Yeah. yeah, it's just the paint cans. I just you see the spider scurrying, and he's about to sit down for his uh, nutritious dinner, craft uh, macaroni and cheese. But then the wet bandits are coming, and Oh my! Uh, the wet bandits in uh, in a little over their heads here. Mm-hmm. Merry Christmas, little fella. We know that you're in there and that you're all alone. Yeah, come on, kid, open up. It's Santa Claus <laughs> and it's Elf. <laughs> We're not gonna hurt you. No, no. Got some nice presents for you. Be a good little fella now and open the door. What? 
taken a bb to the face before Ooh. it hurts like hell I bet, yeah. <laughs> right 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 here my friend shot me like from like this distance right we were playing it was bb gun war so i, I knew what i was in for but man he hit me right in the face it, it just welted and had like a bump there so dude marv taking one of the forehead dude no thanks <laughs> yeah okay uh let's lay the stage here so you know harry's going to the front uh marv's going through the basement they're slipping and sliding all over the icy stairs uh, Harry burns his hand on the doorknob. Marv, okay. Marv takes an iron to the face. That kills somebody. Kills somebody. That's a, that's a traumatic brain injury. And then the one that I always, he, the, he steps on the nail and it just falls down the stairs. I'll keep us going here, but I have two questions for you. Um, if you had to, if this is me and you and we're going through the McAllister House of Pain. Yeah. And you have to take one of these traps. Which one are you going to do? <coughs> you can't pick... Flamethrower the... to the head? You take that one? Maybe. I was going to say, you can't pick Saran Wrap with the feathers because that's just ridiculous. Okay, Flamethrower to the head. I think I would pick take the ornaments to the feet. Yeah, that's... It's yeah. a little less than some of the other shit going on. Yeah. Is there one of these that you want no part of? Yeah, the one where you slip on the ice and crack your head on the concrete. <laughs> You're dead. You're dead. That's that's curtains, man. Yeah. I don't know if I want to burn my hand on the doorknob either, but I'll, I'll tell you, I don't want the tarantula on my face. So dear dear God, no. They're all really, really heavy on the violence. Now they do it slapsticky, but you said it. Some of these things pretty much finish you off. Yeah, I don't think you can take a paint can to the face with that type of inertia. No. I think you're done. <laughs> I think if it hits you square on the nose, it's going into your brain and you're dead. Those are, but... It's done Wiley Coyote Roadrunner style funny. So it was always my favorite part of the movie. This just oh, sure. them getting torn up through this thing in a very Three Stooges esque fashion. Just I loved it so much. And in part two, oh my god, do they double down even more? Kevin's launching bricks off the top of this apartment building and hitting Marv Square. Dude, that guy's dead. Dead. <laughs> and then later, so they they do the. I really like part two. It has some really good moments and. He does the paint can gag again, and they're privy to it. And then he throws, like, this gigantic pipe. It hits them right in the face. They hit their heads on the paint cans, and then they fall down into a hole into the basement. They're like, Bye. DOA. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, it's so, uh, dude, Pesci and Stern, you know, their stunt doubles, and then them themselves just selling all of these little moments. Are, they're so good. Uh, and, yeah, that moment. God, can we give Daniel Stern some just for allowing them to put that tarantula on his face and that ungodly scream that he gives is just so good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then his rationale is like, Harry, I'm going to get this tarantula. Don't move. And the tarantula scurries away and he hits Pesci square in the rib cage with the crowbar. <laughs> oh, my Ooh. God. So How do you like it, huh, you jerk? <laughs> 
And then so Kevin, you know, uh, zip lines to his treehouse. He's already called the cops. Uh, so he kind of has an end game here. He's going to come get these guys arrested after just beating the shit out of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then oh, just Daniel Stern's so funny. They're looking outside the window and they're like, where did he go? And Daniel Stern goes, maybe he committed suicide. <laughs> yeah. Dude, this 1990s dark kid humor. Yeah. Dude, I'm, dude, I'm here for it. It's just, it's so funny. There is a lot of that in this. A lot in this entire is, movie. The yeah. humor is pretty dark. Mm-hmm. From this violence we're talking about to just the general premise, which is, I want my family gone, haha, and then they are gone. Yeah. Yeah. What tells you I think you're in the hands of someone who's really in control of the emotions has to do with though the church scene and then the, the end bit with Marley. Yeah. I'm um, just going to ask you, do you have a hard time not shedding a little bit of a tear when we get the Mar- Mr. Mr. Marley and his oh, the family? Re- the reunion at the end? Oh, yeah. It's, Pretty heartbreaking. It's so good. Yeah. I, I love it. Such a good payoff. We'll get to it in just, in just a little bit, but we got to wrap up the Wet Bandits, and you know, he goes to the Mitch Murphy house, flooded beyond belief, mm-hmm. and they've kind of caught up to him, right? And I, if they're going to kill this kid, I don't know what they're what these what two are, are, are capable of. I still think they're bumbling fools. But, man, old man Marley comes to Kevin's rescue and takes these two out, and then they're arrested. And a bit of a suspension of disbelief because, in my mind, I don't think the parents or the siblings ever found out what happened at their house with these burglars. The cops would come in here and then they would be doing investigations and interviews and like, they would find out, right? They would, they like, so that part of we'll suspend that. But the fact that they would have no idea that this thing had taken, and I love the little moment when dad picks up the gold tooth at the end. He's like, honey, what the hell is this? (laughs) But you got to suspend at least that. I don't want to watch the cops get in the middle of this. I know. That ruins this and then film. it turns into a whole... Yeah, it's, this isn't a procedural investigation movie. <laughs> no, for sure it's not. I do want to talk about Chris Columbus a little bit. I think I find him a very fascinating director in... This is Doubtfire. Yeah. He started... Um, in the early 80s, he went to NYU Film School. And one of the shorts he made actually got to the attention. And this has happened by a lot of people's kind of big break. It happened with Mr. Oren Pelly and Paranormal Activity. His short fell in the lap of Mr. Steven Spielberg, and it was impressed with it. So when Columbus tried to, you know, get into Hollywood, and he was having a hard time, he wrote a spec screenplay just for a few months. The film was <laughs> called Gremlins, everybody. Mm. And uh, fell into the lap of Mr. Spielberg, and he was like, let's make this movie, right? Yep. Uh, and so then he kind of got, became like an Amblin, like stalwart. He did Goonies and then Young Sherlock Holmes. And then finally got into directing himself, did uh, Adventures in Babysitting, um, and then was going to do Christmas Vacation and then had to bail, right? So he ends up with this, the biggest movie of 1990, <laughs> into like Mrs. Doubtfire. And, um, but I think his probably biggest contribution and claim to fame, and I don't think this man gets enough credit for this that the latter directors do. This guy directed Harry Potter 1 and 2. He cast all of those people. Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Alan Rickman, Robbie Coltrane. He he was responsible for establishing the cast that became kind of legendary, right? Right. And I don't think he gets his due, and I don't love those first two. They're very kid-friendly, and they should be. I mean, Harry's... They're young. He's yeah. young, right? 
But man, I don't think Columbus gets the credit uh, for those early Potter films. Yeah, no, it's pretty hard to argue with that. Um, you look at all the things he laid his hands on. Yeah. Huge films. Yeah, it, there's not a miss in there, Jesse. Yeah. Uh, Do you like Mrs. Doubtfire? I yes. Oh, we we sung our praises to Mr. Robin Williams a couple. Yes, was that last week? Um, two weeks ago. Yes. Yeah. Good film. I I, I don't want to watch it all the time, but that's a rock solid film. So uh, yeah, to Christopher Columbus, let's raise him up on that. Yeah. Uh, it's hilarious. Specking Goonie or Gooning specking Grim- Gremlins. Jeez. Yeah. And just having the you know Spielberg. Kind of in your in your pocket, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he did Home Alone two. He did nine months. Did you ever see that with Hugh Grant? I did, and Julianne Moore. Yeah. Uh, he also directed uh, Stepmom. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that movie made me cry my ass off. Yeah. And then Bicentennial Man, which that's kind of a miss for me. Uh, but then the two Harry Potter films, uh, and then he did the, the Percy Jackson, uh, the the, the Olympians. Yeah, really, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, good career. What's yeah. he doing now, I wonder? Not a whole lot. I mean, maybe he's just... Dude, he's still raking in... Enjoying his life. He's still raking in Home Alone residuals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially this time of year. Anyti- sure. Oh, yeah. Anytime it's rented or, or purchased or what, he's getting a little cha-ching. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder about that a lot. Like, you know, as an actor or a creative director... This never gets talked about. And I wondered this with Avatar specifically. Sam Worthington, who plays Jake Sully and Zoe Zeldana. I was just thinking, I was like, what kind of residuals are those two getting from this one movie alone? Every month, right? Every Every time it's rented, anytime they shove it back into the theaters, whatever type of bonus situation they had for that film, like those two got bank, right? Mm -hmm. Where you don't have to do anything if you didn't want to, right? Right. It's crazy. It is crazy. Crazy town. Uh, okay, I'm going to play this because this is the clip I was telling you about with Candy and Catherine O'Hara. Just This is just like a skit at this point, imp- imp- improvisational skit. You want to talk about bad parents? Look at look at us. I mean, we're on the road 48, 49 weeks out of the year. We hardly see our families. Uh, you know, Joe over there, gosh, you know, he, he forgets his kids' names half the time. Ziggy over there, he doesn't even, he's never even met his kid. Eddie. Let's just hope none of them write a book about him. Now tell me, have you ever gone on vacation and left your child home? No. no. But I did leave one at a funeral parlor once. Yeah, it was, uh, it was terrible, too. You know, I was all distraught and everything, you know, the wife and I. And we left the, the little tyke there in the funeral parlor all day. All day. You know, we went back at night when, you know, when we came to our senses, and there he was. Apparently, he was there alone all day with a corpse. Now, he was okay, you know, after six, seven weeks. I came around, started talking again. Uh, but he's okay. You know, they get over it. Kids are resilient like that. Maybe we shouldn't talk about this. Well, you brought it up. I was just, you know, trying well, to cheer I'm you up. sorry I did. <laughs> so good. So good. You know, Ziggy over there doesn't even know his kids. You know what I love about that? In my mind, I think John Gus Polinski yeah. is truly trying to make her feel better in yeah. the moment. Yeah. And he's making all this up about this guy who's never seen his kids and they never better write a book about this guy. <laughs> and then makes up some crazy story about how he left his kid at a funeral parlor. It, it, I don't think any of it's true. No. 
he's just trying to make her feel better. And he, she's just like, oh, my God, this guy. Like, yeah. And in one of the grossest moments is they're pulking down, you know, I whatever. And he's playing the clarinet. And then at one point he, like, tries to pass it off to her. And he's like, come on, play a few bars. I can't think of anything more disgusting than to jump onto someone's reed-soaked oh, instrument. Yuck, no kidding. That. No way, man. That's so gross. So good to you, Catherine O'Hara. But, yeah. man, candy's on full display here. Mm-hmm. And I love it. She's like, uh, I was just trying to make you feel better. And she's like, well, well, you brought it up, miss. You brought it up. <laughs> so mm-hmm. But she finally makes it home, right? And... You know, I kind of like this moment, too, between Kevin. I mean, it's just what he wanted. He wanted his parents to come back. And he comes downstairs, and he sees mom. And there is a little bit of, like, okay, wait a minute. I'm glad I see you, and you've made it back to me. I'm a little pissed at you for leaving me at home alone, right? Mm-hmm. And then she apologizes to him. She's like, "I, there's nothing more I can say than I'm sorry. And then they finally embrace, and it's kind of really sweet, right? Yeah. And then very comedically, the whole rest of the family comes barging in. And they're like, oh, we caught the flight you didn't want to take the next day. And it's, just, it's so silly. Saved him about five minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Just like, yeah, Kevin. And they're like, what's going on? And he tells them, I went shopping and I did this. And everyone's just like, oh, my God. You're like, you went shopping? You don't even know how to tie your shoes. And then we get the moment you alluded to, which is he goes to the window. And, oh, my God. There's old man Marley hugging his granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And then there's his son and his wife. And it's it's. Magical. It's so good. It's yeah. it's it's a wonderful life levels of mm. if this is what the holidays are about, like fuck presents. I mean right. Fuck presents and lights and ornaments and bullshit. This is what the holidays are about. Embracing your loved ones, you know, being with family, making amends, burying the hatchet, doing all that shit. And they do it with no dialogue. It's it's the brilliance of this. It's it's Hughes' script. It's Columbus's direction, and it's Robert Blossoms and Macaulay Culkin. It's really good, handled beautifully. It's a great ending to the film. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It, we get one little comedic tag, and oh my god, Buzz has seen his disaster room, and he's like, Kevin, what did you do to my room? Then we cut to black. Let's get out. It's the end of the film. How long? What's runtime? The runtime of Home Alone? That's not 105. Uh, Is it two? I think it's two. Yeah. yeah. It's two hours. Well, kind of long for a comedy, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay with it in this space. There's a lot to. No, there's enough material to carry that. You got to set up the family. You got to leave yep. him alone. Yep. You got to set up the antagonist and then just bring everything back. So, yeah, take your time with it. Uh, okay, man. I, got, I do have to share this with you. Uh,. Okay, so John Hughes is kind of—he was kind of a smart, smart guy. So he had taken this script to Warner Brothers because that's where he was doing Christmas Vacation, and they're like, "Okay, Home Alone, uh, we kind of want to do it, but we want to do it for twelve million. And he's like, "It might be a little bit more than that because you know we've got a lot going on in here. And so when that happens, it really stalls out productions. If that if Warner Brothers bails, then the script gets thrown into turnaround where other studios can look at it. And so Hughes was like, man, Warner Brothers is going to bail on this thing. I'm going to sneak the script to 20th Century Fox just so they know what it's about. That way, if they bail, maybe they want to take it. And that's exactly, they bailed, and Fox was like, we'll do it 18 or 14 million. Let's do your film, right? Done. 
just kind of like on the sneaky sneak, right? It's yeah. just like, let's not like slow down any through all the red tape of Hollywood film production. Let's kind of just have the have one in the chamber, right? <laughs> yes. So to John Hughes's credit, I mean, the guy knew his kind of way around around Hollywood. That helps, right? I mean, take this project, and if this gets screwed up in turnaround, or if this gets screwed up in the writing process, you lose the charm of this film. All of the wars that Hughes had been through with the other films he'd made prior to this, I think, served this film really well because he can tell these guys are trying to cheap this out and do it for ten. I can't make this movie for ten. Hey, Fox, I got something for you. Yeah. This might be ready next Tuesday. That's pretty high concept. Super high concept. Tell yeah. me what you think. Super smart. Yeah. Just because you couldn't you see the directors and the executives getting in this and ruining that Rube Goldberg bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> They're like, it's too violent for a kid's film. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like it tonally, you need the right pieces in place. But yeah, if you don't know how to navigate the Hollywood landscape, you don't know how to kind of play the studios against themselves. I, I think it's, it's really smart. It's, it's something similar also happened with Ghostbusters too, where they kind of like, it was at one place and then they like did a quick switch o change route to another studio for all of that. Like Thank God, all that fucking business shit with Hollywood. It gives me a headache. It's ruining <laughs> any spec thing. We lay our hands on. Absolutely. Okay. Here we go. Okay. $18 million budget. $476 million oh gross. God. That's crazy. For a comedy? Comedy. Yeah. Mm. My favorite stat. Mm. <clears throat> it opened on November 16th. It was the number one movie at the box office for 12 consecutive weeks until February 3rd. Wow. The entire holiday season. It'll never happen again. No way. That the, we, You get a number one movie. I mean, Top Gun was probably number one for like maybe three weeks. A month, maybe at best. Yeah. And then something else bigger comes and takes the spot. Everything's mm -hmm. very top heavy. Mm -hmm. Dude, this is slayed through the entire holiday season yeah. into the next school year. That's awesome. <laughs> this is crazy because it's a Christmas movie, but we're still watching it in January and February. Like, they couldn't get enough of it, right? What are you doing for Valentine's Day? Taking my girl to go see I mean, Home Alone. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go. Let's go see Home Alone again. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm down. Mm -hmm. like, that, I, that stat just blows my... I don't even think... I don't think Avatar had that number or Titanic. No. And they were very open, small, and then were just very steady for their entire duration, right? That's a hugely impressive stat. Wow. Sold 11 million VHS copies, generating an additional $270 million, $75 million. If you inflate that to today's prices, that's an additional $547 million the film's making in... VHS and rentals alone. Wow. <clears throat> okay, so here's what I wanted to do with you here. Uh oh. And then I want to give you the the numbers, but what's your best guess for the all time best selling VHS of all time? ET or Thriller? ET's kind of close, but not quite. It's on the list. 15, 15 million copies. Your number one winner for this one is The Lion King at oh. 32 million units, generating a revenue for inflation, if it's today, $925 million. Oh, my God. That's wow. insane. That is insane. That's, those, that's, that's a whole that's A, whole a other, billion in rentals, almost. In just copies, yeah. Golly. Okay. Mm, wow. DVD. Mm -hmm. What's your best guess? I'm going to go with Titanic. Uh, not Titanic. 
Finding Nemo, 38 million units. Wow. $677 million of revenue. I don't have the inflation numbers on this one. Well, when they say that Buena Vista makes their money on the DVD and rental market, they are not kidding, are they? The, this is, number one and number two, you just rattled off. Look at that. Lion King and, and Nemo. Well, let me tell you this. So DVD, Finding Nemo's three, 38 million units. Number two's Cars, <laughs> 23. Wow. That's a pretty big gap. Huge. Spider-Man's number three. Mm. Blu-ray? What do you got? Oh. And, and now we're kind of diminishing in our total units, but best guess. <laughs> Think 09 through 2020. Good Lord, Jesse. Um, I'm trying to think of a Disney film that came out then. You're on the right track. Uh, It's got something Disney. Give me a... It's Frozen. Oh, duh. Yeah, of course it is. 7,600,000 units. So if you go to the all-time... So when you combine all media formats, VHS, DVD, Blu-ray. The top three are Lion King, Finding Nemo, and then Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Lion King generating 48 million across all formats. Which unadjusted for inflation is $852 million. That's like almost $2 billion of additional revenue on that one film alone. Man, that's wild, isn't it? It's just, it, and that's not there anymore because we have all these streaming services and instead of, and I still buy units. I For Christmas, I bought you a physical copy of a yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, if it goes to Netflix or Disney Plus, you're losing a unit that you could be selling for, if people just aren't buying the way they used to in the 90s and the 2000s. Those numbers blew, blew my mind. Yeah, that's staggering. Yeah. So you could see, like, if okay, maybe if the movie didn't perform well, man, in the rental, in the blockbuster, in the Sam Goody market, we'll make a profit. Mm-hmm. Turn it around there. Nearly a billion dollars in the rental unit market. That'll <coughs> fund the next three years of big budget properties. Sure will. Huge. I just, I, I think that was a different time. And I want to go back to that time. Because, mm-hmm. man, I just, I, I love my physical discs. I love putting the discs on because I'm telling you people, I don't care how fast your internet is or how good your TV is, it won't look or sound as good as the disc you can have. Right. It's as close to getting into the theater quality as you can. So Still got a buffer. Um, That's interesting. Good numbers. Thanks. That's yeah, good. Cra- good work. Yeah, it was, it was a fun little rabbit hole I went down. But what's your favorite tasting note of Home Alone? Probably like you, looking back at it now at a different time in my life, it is that church scene. Um, it's That's really two fish out of water, if you think about it. The little guy given the much older man advice on how to treat your family because what else do you have to lose when he is sort of guilty of the same thing that that guy is. Uh, it works really, really well, but part of it is that Macaulay Culkin is so simple in what the outcome is. Look, if you don't talk to him, You'll never know what the answer is. At least if you talk to him and he says no, then you're still not talking to him, but at least you have an answer. And that's good for you. Mm -hmm. That's very sage advice. Yeah. There's a lot of really good points in this. I mean, obviously the the Rube Goldberg trap bit's going to come up too. But um, yeah, I'm going to go with the church scene. It's the best scene of the film. But my favorite scene is Harry and Marv going through the gauntlet of the traps in the house. I mean, it's just one after... 
the ornaments, the nail, the micro machines. Why the hell are you dress like a chicken? The paint cans to the face. It's just every one of them just play, hits so well. And yeah, that's that's my favorite moment of the movie. Good. What's your? Oh my god! Moment of Home Alone. Insert any one of those terribly deadly devices that take out the wet bandits. Uh, the iron really is hard to watch. The paint cans to the face, if it didn't quite get you and is a bit glancing, I could see that. But there's certain things in film, and this happened lately to me in the last five, six months. Mm-hmm. I'm watching an action, but I'm like, hey, you're dead. You're, mm-hmm. you're dead. You're dead. You're dead. Uh, an iron to the head? I don't know. Uh, with yeah. the point? Like, if you manage to avoid the point not hitting you in the eye of the iron, the sheer weight of it. I don't know. That's a pretty tough get back, Jesse. I don't think you can do it. I don't think, I think you that can one's either. mine. I think it's the iron is the one that's just Boing. like, God, it's a dead man right there. <laughs> Walking. You know what moment really cracks me up is I don't know how well you remember part two, but they're going through the brothers' New York apartment and just getting torn to hell, right? Mm-hmm. There's two moments that uh, Joe Pesci uh, ignites his hair on fire again. And he's like, oh, my God, I got to extinguish it. So he puts his head in the toilet bowl, yeah. which is full of kerosene. Oh. Dude, the guy doesn't have a head after that. Done. Yeah. <laughs> You're dead. He's toast. And then Marv gets paint and a bunch of shit on his face and goes to this uh, faucet to wash himself. But Kevin has it hooked up to uh, jumper cables. <laughs> and so it electrocutes him. And I don't know whose decision this was, if this was a Chris Columbus or whoever. But Marv goes through... Three stages of electric uh, electrocution, and it's like my skin's red, my hair's standing up, and then in the next one, his hair's really standing up, and then in the third one, he's a skeleton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Super suspension of disbelief, right? Yeah. But whoever's decision that was, man, that's comedy gold. I I love stuff like that. It's just like we're we're having fun with the material. Uh, I absolutely love it. Who's the master distiller on Home Alone? I'm going to give it to Chris Columbus. There's three that are in the running here, I think. Actually, there's maybe four for me, but I'm going to go ahead and give it to Christopher Columbus. I think handling comedy and then violent slapstick Wiley Coyote versus the Roadrunner levels of comedy and not making a movie that just seems completely outlandish or preposterous is, is no small feat. And, I mean, you read the numbers off. Clearly, this was a smash because... People liked it. And that's another thing that we often neglect, Jesse. Yeah. For all of this, and this is kind of a tease for what's coming when we lay out the the process for what's coming up next. There's fine filmmaking, and we can recognize that, but there also has to be an element of enjoyment because at the end of the day, yeah. it is story. Yeah. And we do want to be entertained on some level, maybe painfully entertained, but entertained in this. Look, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. Yeah. I'm with you. This is, I think, a really well-directed film by Columbus and really well-written by Hughes. And I'm not saying that often with him because it it usually just leaves me in just kind of a very unsatisfied state with most of his films. Mm -hmm. I kind of don't even really... I love Candy, but I I don't love Uncle Buck. Like, as... No. Yeah, it's... But Planes, Trains, that's great. I love Ferris Bueller. But Hughes wrote a really great screenplay here that if he directed it, I don't know if it's the same movie either. I think you do need the Columbus balance. I got to give it to Macaulay Culkin. I mean, the film rests on his little eight-year-old shoulders, and I think he carries it brilliantly. I mean, we talk about child actor performances that could just kill a film, right? 
And I don't think you had that with here. He, he's the right amount of cute, smart-ass, intellectual, sympathetic, that it really kind of works, right? Mm-hmm. And this made him, like, the biggest movie star in the world, right? I mean, he had his little moment from, like, 90 to 95 where... My girl. My girl, Richie Rich, uh, the page master. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the have you ever seen The Good Son? Yeah. Oh, man. <clears throat> Talk about a twisted movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he kind of had his moment, but th- it's, he'll always be remembered for this film right here. Uh, he's great in it. He's great in Pesci it. Pesci and Stern are also really good, but this uh, this film I don't think is the same with another... Wet Bandits duo? I don't think so, no. Yeah. How are you going to rate and grade Home Alone? We have Rock Gut, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Single Barrel, wholly unique, super high concept, delivered in a way that I'd never seen, and to this day I still have never seen. Matter of fact, even Violent Night steals from Home Alone. It was the the little girl in, in the, the attic. In the attic, it steals for steals like literally steals from it. Becomes home alone. <clears throat> yeah, it's a wildly enjoyable and wholly unique experience unto itself. Only <clears throat> great Christmas choice, Jesse. Do you like the second one? Not as much as this one, but I still like it. What about part three? <clears throat> no, you bailing out. <laughs> And then there's a four, there's a five. Is there really? Yeah, and then Disney Plus rolled out last year, Home Sweet Home Alone, which might be one of the worst things I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, yeah really atrocious. Uh, th- this is top shelf for me. I thought about Single Barrel, but I was like, my favorite Christmas movie, I've seen it a bajillion times. I rented the hell out of it. It's a certain type of comedy that I really like. I love everybody in it, and I can always rewatch it and pick up new things on it. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, this is this is really really good little comedy, and we don't get we don't do comedy a lot on the on the podcast. No, we don't actually. Um, here and there, it, it it'll it'll crop up, but this is kind of a rare opportunity to talk about some yucks. And yeah, for nineteen ninety, this is a hugely monumental Christmas comedy film that checks a lot of boxes for myself, and I know for you. So th- this is a top shelf. I I love Home Alone. I will always love Home Alone. Two great choice. Yeah. Excellent. Well, let's wrap this up with our nightcap. Time to set up some traps. Okay, the flight, the, the nightcap question. You have no idea what this is going to be, but we've we set this up months ago. It's time to finally pay it off and have an interesting discussion about it. When we did our Doctor Strange episode in early May, we made our predictions oh, for yeah. the summer movie box office season. Yep, uh, our top five, what we thought was going to be in there. And we never we never did it in September or October, and here we are in December. So the last episode of the year, it's time to do it, right? Okay, yeah. So I will read out what the actual top five of the summer were, and then I'll read out our choices, and then we can just kind of chat about it and, I guess, determine who maybe is buying a bottle. Okay. Might be both of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, from boxofficemojo.com. Number one, the clear-cut winner, Top Gun. The biggest surprise of the summer, Top Gun Maverick. 
Coming in at number two, we have Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness at 411 million. And these are domestic numbers, so only stateside. 411 million, it's pretty good. What man. was Top Gun? 718. Oh my god. It was it was huge. It was huge. Uh coming in at number three, we have Jurassic World Dominion at 376 million. Ooh. I know. Fucking locusts. Uh coming in at number four. Minions, the Rise of Gru, $369 million. And coming in at number five, the hugely disappointing Thor, Love and Thunder, yep. $343 million. So uh, let me read what, what we picked. Mm-hmm. So from, from one to five, your predictions were Thor at number one, Doctor Strange at number two, Top Gun at number three, Lightyear at number four, mm. Jurassic World at number five. Four out of five. So you got four out of five. My Boy, top, talk about, and then pick the bomb of the summer too in there. Lightyear. <laughs> well, let's talk about that here in a second. My top five from five wow. or from one to five, I had Strange at number one, Jurassic World. I had the Minions at number three, mm. Thor at number four, and then I had Jordan Peele's Nope at number five and didn't quite deliver the way I thought it could have delivered. And then I saw it and I kind of didn't like it either. Uh, Space windsock. Stupid. (laughs) That's what it is. That is what it is. Oh God. You know what the interesting part of that film was, was chimpanzee. Oh my God. Yeah. The chimpanzee massacre on a TV set. Oh man. I watch a whole movie of that. Yeah. How that was tied into the plot was interesting, but then it wasn't the type of alien film I thought we were going to get. Look, he's done good stuff. Let's be honest. That's his first miss. And it, that movie was it, a miss. It blew. Sure, yeah. That movie sucked. So we both have four of the five. Yeah. Our misses. I missed Gru and you missed. I didn't even Top have, Gun. I didn't even have Top Gun in my top five, Matt. So mm. we need to talk about Top Gun Maverick for a second for the bajillion time, right? Yeah. I went and listened to when we talked about our rankings and you had a lot of really good ideas about man if Gen X and Baby Boomer, if they can go and get and get their kids to go see, um, you're like, Gen X will go see this, but like will their offspring go see it as well? And the answer was yes, yes, and tenfold, right? Yeah. Uh but then you also brought up some interesting points too about that it wasn't science fiction and superheroes and that it felt fresh and new. And so I think that helped the film a lot as well. Mm. And then the reason I think it was so successful, it was actually a really damn good movie. Yeah, there's that, right? Uh, I watched it again at home here on my 4K disc, and there's just something so kinetic about all the aerial footage. This The end does still doesn't quite do it for me, that the, the runway final... Mm-hmm. Act four of the film, if you will. But everything else in there is very airtight. I would maybe even bump up my single barrel rating that I gave. It's it's all it's getting close. Yeah. Maybe after a couple more viewings, I'll, I'll I'll get there. But the movie was really entertaining and it was really good. And Tom Cruise was really good in it. So I think that's why it had a lot of staying power. The shock of the summer. I didn't think it would. I I didn't think it would do that good. I didn't think it would be. Obviously, I didn't think it would be Thor. Yeah. But then Thor came across or limped across the finish line the way that it did. Um, I don't, that's tough. I mean, you both got four out of five, and neither one of us got number one. I think we both got a number two. When you had Strange at one, I had Strange at two. Well, let's talk about our <clears throat> two misses. So you did Lightyear. Huge miss. Coming in at $118 million domestically, 
And then I had Nope at 123 million domestically. Well, Lightyear was missed because the crowds were furious at the way their characters were depicted on that. Did you did you see it? No. No. I didn't see it either. And I just I think the the big kind of discourse with that film as well was like no one knew what the hell it was. Like, is this the Buzz Lightyear we know, or is this a movie, or is this what the right. hell is this? Mm-hmm. And then no one went to see it. So. Well, and then Yeah. There's there's some interesting decisions that made like on the commentary in that as well. So from what I understand. It was a prequel to Buzz as if Buzz was a real spaceman. Yes? Did you, is that your take on it too? No. What, what, what I know is it's a fictional movie taking place within the Toy Story world. Well, that's even worse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, doesn't, that. that doesn't mean anything. Why did I, yeah. What it should have been was this is the true life story of an astronaut who dies. And then we're going to honor him with this toy that's in the Toy Story universe, right? Yeah, that's good. I like that. It's just a miss across the board, right? And I didn't see it, and I still haven't seen it, so that tells you a whole bunch of that. Well, and the other question that really I think should be posed on this, Jesse, is did anyone want that film? And I think per the numbers... Probably not. Well, I mean, Disney, I mean, they did make 118 on it, so it wasn't like it limped across the finish line at 17. These movies make... Cost like two hundred million, and then like yeah. they, <clears throat> the magic number is always like six hundred fifty to seven hundred million to break even. And I'm like, what the hell, man? I can tell you that we had a discussion in my house, which was with my daughter who yeah. had already seen Top Gun twice. Yeah, do you want to go see Lightyear because we had an afternoon to kill, or do you want to go and see Top Gun? She saw Top Gun again. Yeah, I probably my I daughter would... saw that movie five times. Yeah. Jesse, yeah, you contributed to this total. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Bumping up my own totals. Uh, so yeah, Lightyear. Well, run with Nope. Yeah, so Nope was 123, which I think is a step down from the grosses of Us and especially Get Out, which sure. was a surprise, low budget hit. Yeah, I don't think it, it didn't do the numbers that I thought or Universal thought as well. But the one film that's caught in the middle here that neither of us had, I kind of didn't like it, was Elvis at 151 million domestically. I don't know what I thought about that film. <clears throat> A, for one, it was too long. <laughs> yeah, there's that. And B, I didn't sign up to watch the Colonel Tom Parker story. Yeah. It, it, it was the Tom Hanks distracting vehicle of yeah. Elvis. Uh, Austin Butler was really, really good as Elvis, and I kind of wanted a more kind of straight biopic and the Baz Luhrmann effect. I mean, it was, that was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't kind of love it. I didn't love it the way I liked Rocket Man. If I could say that. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. I agree totally. But I didn't I didn't hate it either. And I'm not even a big Elvis fan, to be honest with you. What I found really interesting was all the Christmas, that Christmas special stuff. I had no idea about any of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was pretty, pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. That's a decent total for a film like that in mm-hmm. the middle of the summer. So good, mm-hmm. good for you, Elvis. And then the rest of the stuff is things that have come out. Like Black Panther's at number two right now, but that's a November release. Um and then just yeah, a few other things. So, yeah, kind of kind of an interesting interesting summer there. The Top Gun is just continues to just flabbergast me, but rightly so. Uh, and we'll see what next summer I guess has. So, so what's the consensus? We both had four of the five. I mean, yeah, I mean, we buying two bottles. Here? <laughs> yeah, let's well, we'll drink them. Yeah, we will. So yeah, let's do that. How about I, I'll get the first one for okay. the first half of this first cask, and then you can get the second one for this second half of this second cask. Or, that's a beautiful tease. You want to set it up what this is coming? No, this is something it, no, super exciting. This is your brainchild. I'll let you do it. 
So guys, we're moving into Oscar season and certainly that is rife with conflict. So I thought we would just lean into that. So we're going to pick three years where you can make a very strong case and we plan on talking about what the picture was that won best year, best picture that year versus what should have won that year. Now, look, all you've got to do is fire up your closest device and get on the internet and you can begin this process yourself. And there's what, 95 years of cinema here to choose from almost. So we're not going to go. Oh yeah. 2023 no. 20, to 1927. Yeah. About 95. Yeah. You're so pretty close. that's a lot of films. Yeah. We're going to pick three that present two options. One that we've never covered on the show before. So Rocky's out. We've already covered Rocky. So that's out. Like there's other ones that are out. And then we also want to pick things that present an interesting discussion point for both winner and runner up. So out of Africa is out because we're not sitting through out of Africa again. I don't even care what the runner up is that year. So there is some artistic license that Jesse and I are taking in this cast, but that's the idea. So each, each entry will be a two-week entry, and there will be six films total. What won to start, what should have won to follow up the for three week. different years. Right. Yeah. So the, the rules, though, <laughs> is that it had to have been nominated. Had right. to have been nominated, yeah. yes. All righty. So, yeah, that's the perfect setup. We're going to traverse a few different decades of film classic mid-contemporary and then like kind of maybe a, a contemporary selection. Yeah. And coming up. Classic first. From the 1950 Academy Awards. Coming up next. Or, or, and then we'll say this. We're going to take a week off next week for the holidays. Yeah, so just but, enjoy time with the family. Listen to Home Alone again. And all the episodes we've listened to or uh, recorded this year. Yeah. We'll come back in the new year with this year from 1950 mm. Academy Awards Best Picture winner All About Eve. Mm-hmm. Do we want to tease out the the, the counterpart, the, the film that maybe should have won in its place? No. Okay. Let's not. Okay. Let's have, let's see if we can't get a little traffic on the socials with which of the non-winners they think would be. We've already made our decision, but I'd like to see where everybody else is on this. The idea in this, guys, we're playing into controversy. We're playing, this is kind of a hot takey cask. Mm -hmm. Certainly we're going to piss off a few fans of All About Eve because- Neither one of us think it should have won this year. Here's what I'm very curious about is because like a lot of our reviews and stuff come down to the viewing we give it right before we record, right? Yeah. Sometimes it enlightens us to new aspects and new things. What I'm curious about is if we watch these and we make our what should have won and if we wonder... I think maybe the right one won actually. <laughs> so yep. maybe in this one, uh, we might have that that discussion. So hmm. we're talking about All About Eve, a film I've only seen once. Me too. Uh, and we might have to burn that together yeah, here. That'd be pretty good. Yeah. And then, yeah, we'll tease at the end of the next, we'll tease out what maybe should have won in its stead. But this is gonna this this cast is gonna be awesome, and then this will propel us into Creed February and March, and then yeah, our Creed cast. Well, we, if you think six weeks, so we'll get to like mid February, uh -huh. Creed's March third. Yeah, this will probably lead right into Creed, won't it? That's pretty perfect, actually. Perfect. There you go. Cheers to that. <clears throat> to all the right listeners, thank you for a good 2022 and all the episodes you've listened to and the variety of ways we've had to record them on the phone and this, and we've had to skip a couple weeks and we've been sick all uh, the time, it seems like. Yeah. Um, but 
thank you for listening. When they do come out, we really appreciate it. And we got a lot of really fun stuff coming uh, to you in 2023. One thing I know for sure, Slashers Part 5 is going to happen. As we head into year five, this yeah. just blows my mind that yeah. we head into year five. But I wanted to say- It's a ton of episodes. It's yeah. a ton, over 200. Mm-hmm. I want to just thank everybody for the years and the attention and, and uh, sitting there listening to burgeoning bourbon snobs and two overwrought film snobs wax poetic for two hours every week. You know, I, I joked with you last, I, I, I concur. That's, that's really well said. I, last week we did the hustler yeah. and I think I made a comment about Piper Laurie and Paul Newman, their characters drinking at like 10 in the morning yeah. And I was like, I was like, they got issues and, or this and that. <laughs> and then, and then I, what I didn't say was like, we do that every Saturday. So, so. do we. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the difference being, we don't have a problem. So it's true. <laughs> so, we're, we're healthy drinking it. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's all in the good nature of the show, but that's yeah, right. that, that, that made me think about that. And I just had to chuckle. So good. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. We'll see you in 2023, everybody. I got to get going. I got to trap up my house. Uh, you know, I'm worried about porch thieves and bandits here, uh, right around new year's or Christmas. And don't take my packages. They might be gifts for some people that I really care about. I'm not taking your package. Excellent. We'll see you all next week. Everybody have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in 2023. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Home Alone is property of 20th Century Fox and Hughes Entertainment. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time. Cheers. Morph! Harry? Where the hell did you take your shoes off? Why the hell are you dressed like a chicken? I'm up here, you morons! Come and get me! Whoa! You guys give up, or you're thirsty for more? <laughs>